Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy. I've got Brian Park with me, and today's episode is presented by Shimano because we're talking about Link Glide. Now, what the heck is Link Glide? Well, Shimano says it is a bunch of new drivetrain tech that is all about long-term durability, shift performance, and cross-compatibility across different levels. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff to cover, and that's why we've got Shimano Mountain Bike Product Manager Nick Murdick here to help explain it in a way that even I can understand. Nick, thanks for joining us. And first off, where are you and how are you? Uh, hey, I'm great. Um, I'm here at Shimano's US headquarters in Irvine, California. Oh, that is that is nice. Are you ready to get real dorky about some mountain bike drivetrain components? Uh, I hope so. I mean, that's that's my specialty is nerding out and going too far down the rabbit hole. So I hope people like it. I hope this can at least be the source where people can go find like the rest of that information of, wait, so how does it do all that? Exactly. What, what even is it? What is a link glide? <laughs> well, why don't we start with exactly that? Tell us what link glide is. Give us an overview of the link glide technology. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, Basically, we could say that it's a, it's a kind of shifting technology. So we've had Hyperglide for many years. Hyperglide Plus came out with uh, the new XTR group a couple years ago. So Linklide is a different system of moving the chain smoothly across the cassette. So the way that the shift ramps are cut in, the way that it, they work together. So my, my first question right away is, I mean, for the last bunch of years, we've been writing about how well Hyperglide Plus shifts, especially under load. It shifts extremely well. So why something different? Like what, why, and and how is this different than Hyperglide? Uh, yeah, well, Hyperglide Plus is basically, it's looking for a balance point that's geared more towards uh, racing, going as fast as possible, a lighter bike for sure. So it's trying to balance shifting speed and the weight of the group. And in order to do that, it's relying on some pretty high tech stuff, like a special chain design and, uh, and everything has to be super precise. Link glide is basically a different approach. So it's starting with thicker steel cogs and cutting really deep shift gates into them. Um, so we can end up with, uh, basically the smoothest possible shifting that Shimano can produce. Um, but also a group that's kind of focused on durability and longevity. So you guys are claiming a 300% increase in durability over, mm -hmm. over what? Over a standard Hyperglide Plus? Over Hyperglide. Over that's Hyperglide. Comparison, just right. to gotcha. be technically accurate. Yeah, Yeah. right. That, I mean, that makes sense. So Hyperglide is the technology that's found on your current, like Altus Alivio Acera. I, yeah. And, uh, and most of the road bike stuff as well. And yeah, we've had it since, uh, since the mid eighties served us well. Totally. And so 300% over that, over those groups, does that like on a, on a consumer level. So if, if I were a rider that went through a, a drivetrain a year, let's say, does that mean that I would now have a drivetrain last me for four years? I'm good at math here. Yeah. 300% would be four years. Well, you're asking the the easy version of that question. I expected the, the hard version of that question because, of course, in the promotional materials, it says drivetrain. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, what's changed is the teeth on the, on the cassette, right? And uh, so those being thicker, taller teeth with a wider base to them, those are 
uh, three times as durable. The chain, you know, Linklight is based on an existing 11-speed chain design. So it doesn't require anything special out of the chain other than, you know, something that was super common already. So with the chain not being any different, there's some small differences in like the amount of support that it gets from the cassette, but basically you still want to replace your chain when it says that it's worn out by a chain checker. Uh, so what a big difference can be is uh, how many times you can reuse that cassette replacing your chain and what the consequence is if you uh, if a chain goes too far. So for sure, what's a common scenario right now is uh, somebody takes their bike to the bike shop for service, mechanic throws the chain checker in there, like when they're checking in the bike for service and says, oh, this thing's pretty far gone. I have bad news for you. You're going to need a new chain and you're also going to need a new cassette. And with Link Glide, I for sure would try putting on just a new chain first the cassette maybe could have stood up to it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, again, not great at math, but doesn't that mean like 75% less cassettes sold? I, yeah, that's, uh, I think early on we were faced with that issue that, you know, our bike shop dealers are very important partners to us and we don't want to present them with an idea that fundamentally is taking business away from them. But at the same time, we have to balance that with people who legitimately are getting so frustrated with their bike that they're selling them or putting them in their garage and not using them anymore. And so kind of uh, early on, we kind of developed this philosophy that whatever's better for riders is ultimately going to be better for the industry as a whole. The material that you guys are using for the cassette, is it different metal as well? Is that also a factor in the cassette's longevity? Or does it all come down to just more of that material and taller teeth? Little bit of both. Link Glide, it kind of, you know, is obvious that they're all going to be steel teeth all the way across the cassette. So it's got a lot in common with a Dior 12-speed cassette, which is the other one that's all steel. So um the uh, the rest of it, though, uh, the the durability really is coming from the thicker, taller teeth. So uh, a Dior cassette, you know, for sure we can see on an e-bike that you're less likely to to snap a tooth off if you've had a really rough shift, especially in bad conditions. So there's a benefit to using steel just in general. So, of course, Linklide's going to use it. But the rest of it really is coming from the the shape of the thickness of the teeth. So so the technology isn't the isn't in the steel. It's in the tooth profiles and, yeah. and shift ramps and stuff like you could conceivably one day, I don't know, make a titanium link light system. Sure. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Levy wants it. 3D printed. It'll be all over it. <laughs> how, how long does something like this take to develop? Like the cassette, it's obviously a cassette is a pretty complicated thing. All the little ramps and the tooth shapes and and all that stuff. And like, I'm not even going to pretend to know how complicated it is, but how, how long does it take to develop something like this from scratch? Has Link, has Link Glide been in development since like 2017 or what? Well, um, 2017 is the year that I joined the product development team and started going to Japan and working with the product managers and engineers over there. And I can tell you that, uh, that Link Glide was an idea that had been kicking around for a long time. They started putting together a plan to, to actually bring it to market around that time. And so the development really started getting fully underway. But, uh, but that basic concept of thicker cogs with really robust shift ramps had been around. I'm not even really sure how I got the impression it was like 10 years ahead of that. Okay. Internally, was there any, well, before I ask this question, we should also say 
I should also ask this question, sorry. Linkglide is not compatible with Hyperglide. Is that correct, Nick? Correct. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, the one thing that is cross compatible between them is the chain. And so by extension, any chain ring that was compatible with it. So your crank may be not so picky, but uh, when we get to the, uh, well, I guess the the parts that are specific to link glide, that's the right way to answer this question, is a shifter, a rear derailleur, and a cassette. So there's a little bit more to the logic behind that as well. We could have used some existing cable pole ratio, uh, but things get a little bit complicated. It made sense for kind of the identity of the link glide technology to use a, um, a new cable pole ratio that's, we would call it perfectly flat. It's not a progressive cable pole uh, like we've used on basically every group that we've done before. Easy like uh, advantage to that is that it can be kind of modular. So we can do 11 speed and 10 speed groups like we saw with the original XT and Dior link glide groups, and then add nine speed with the, the Q's brand as well. I'm I'm curious internally was there an argument like any arguments during the development against going that route because as soon as you say like different cable pull ratio I understand the benefits and we're going to get to that and the compatibility and how it, it kind of makes it like pretty straightforward but at the same time from a consumer point of view as soon as they see that something isn't compatible with something I think a lot of people are like oh you know what right. I mean I yeah, I mean, I'm, these are the stories that never make make it to the like the press release or the print articles either. So, but I mean, this is basically what a product manager's job is: is to, you know, find out maybe some little bit of bad news from the engineers and then make the decision about okay, well, which one's less bad in a lot of cases, right? So, I can say, you know, we had a basically a single cable pull ratio for many years. So, just just to be clear, when <laughs> you mean to say that when brands say there are no compromises in their products that they're just full of shit i mean everything is a compromise like that's literally what my job is is finding the best compromise every day i'd we had a lot of laughs about 27 five wheels when they came out that like it was the goldilocks it was the sweet spot no compromises like it's literally a compromise between 26 and 29 yeah yeah exactly anyways i interrupted you uh yeah what was i saying Oh, about compromises. Yeah. So uh, you could say we had a single cable pull ratio for the first, I don't know, 15, 20 years of uh, index shifting, um, with the exception of the Dura Ace 8 speed group. When it came out, it used, it tried to use a different cable pull ratio, and that did not go over well. So we kind of like learned our lesson and didn't do it again until I think mountain bike 10 speed came out. Um, and, uh, and really the reason for the new cable pole ratio there is the same reason as the new cable pole ratio now is that that original universal cable pole ratio, basically cassettes all look the same and they were pretty tight spreads. And so it would like progressively pull more cable or less cable as it moved across the cassette, um, so that the leverage and the shifter, uh, would make more sense. But of course that, you know, those original shifters that that cable pole ratio was designed around were down tube shifters or top mount thumb shifters and things have changed a lot since then. There also, uh, there wasn't really so much, uh, shift housing on the bike back then. And, uh, and now that bikes have full length cable housing, that was basically the reason for the change in cable pull ratio when 10 speed mountain bike stuff came out. Um, 
And uh, so it's a lot more uh, using uh, like leverage inside the derailleur to make the shifts easier as you uh, get to the bigger jumps, bigger gears in the cassette, and not so much a changing progressive cable pull ratio as you move across the cassette. Do you want to jump in, Brian? Yeah, sure. I'll say so. HG as a as a system really is how many years old now? It's it's uh, nineteen eighty six off the top of my head. So that's the year I was born, and I, I'm I don't know maybe I'm sure that there will be shops and consumers that will be frustrated to have a change, mm-hmm. um, but I think that that's a pretty good run, um, honestly, and I think that there are so. We'll get into this, uh, I'm sure, but the the cross compatibility of nine, ten, and eleven speed group sets at the sort of entry and mid level price points it mm. kind of makes a huge deal for a lot of people and a lot of bikes. So it might, it to me, it seems like there's a short term uh, pain in a transitional period, but it, that it's actually going to end up with a less, yeah. This is ripping the Band-Aid off for sure. And uh, ultimately, what we uh, want to have is uh, cable pull ratios that are appropriate to the task. So you could say the uh, the high-end road components that are using you know STI levers, those have got a cable pull ratio that's appropriate to shifting with that kind of lever on the kind of gear spreads that the derailleurs are matched with right uh for mountain bike same thing cable pull ratio that's appropriate and uh for link glide groups a uh a cable pull ratio that's focused more on universal compatibility as much as possible and then below that we have uh the the turny stuff which does use that original legacy cable pull ratio still okay am i correct in saying if if the ratio is the same for 9 10 11 then that must mean that the cassette spacing is the same for nine, 10, and 11 link glide drivetrains. That's correct, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, kind of part of a bigger picture, right? That uh, I think the way to say it, right, is that uh, as we came out with uh, move from eight speed to nine speeds to 10 speeds, even when they were the same cable pull ratio, the cogs were getting thinner and closer together. So there were different chains for each of them. I mean, there were different free hub body uh, lengths for each of those guys as well. So there was kind of this complex web of compatibility and and those things were all like they got implemented the first time the cable pole ratio was like the best that we could make for the way that bikes looked in the mid 80s and then as the nine speed and 10 speed versions came out they were the best for how bikes looked at the time but now you know if you're trying to navigate compatibility between nine ten and eleven speed stuff on your dior and alivio altus acera bikes you have to be really careful about that compatibility because there's all of these different systems, like what shifter can work with what, can I use this rear derailleur as a service one? And uh, and the reason that you can't is kind of silly, right? It's because it's trickle down technology that was developed for XTR or Dura-Ace a decade or two ago. Um, and so that's why this is really kind of a ripping off the Band-Aid moment that like, let's actually engineer stuff for uh, bikes with a different purpose that's not, you know, race-developed technology. It's developed for a different way of using your your bike with different priorities. It's not, not I mean, you do have a, um, a higher-end link glide options with XT, but it is interesting. It's, to me, I can't think of, in recent memory, any brand developing for the meat of the market and then extending up rather than 
everything's like race proven and then except now it's heavier and cheaper here you go yeah and um that was really kind of how the development went too right was that uh you know link light existed before we knew what to do with it like i said um it uh, it kind of got the green light to to get development um for two main reasons i'll say um one was to be able to offer uh wide range single front chain ring groups down to the nine speed level something that we didn't already have in the catalog um and avoid things like chains and cassettes that break real easily because there are big shift jumps based on the hyperglide system like it needed to be some new technology to be able to like confidently deliver a wide range one by nine group and then the other one you know it was fairly obvious that since this uh the shifting is so smooth uh and it's focused so much on durability that it was obvious that there should be a version to support people who are not satisfied with their durability on their e-bikes and basically the push especially for me i think i was beating the drum really loudly on this was don't tell anybody what this is for like let's just put it out and let people decide and if there's an xt version of it then you know it's not e-bike specific group it's a bike that many people might choose for their e-bikes but there are a lot of people that i think that just uh yeah their priorities when they're riding don't line up with somebody who's racing their bike and along those lines actually there's more on this later but uh, uh maybe not all racers have those priorities that we assumed that they would but but don't you know that everything has to be e-bike specific in 2023 didn't you get that memo does yeah if we could cash in on that and also make people not hate it that would be the sweet spot for sure we need some e-bike <laughs> water bottles over here guys in seriousness don't how do, <laughs> how do you develop mid-tier groups so and actually i just want to say to the to listeners it might seem weird that we're spending all this time talking about mid-tier groups when most of the time we talk about xtr hyperglide plus electronic shifting all you know crazy robots on suspension but like honestly this all of us started riding bikes on Acera or altus i remember getting an stxrc rear derailleur which was quite oh, yeah. bougie you know <laughs> um, it had cool silent hubs that bike too uh, oh nice silent cassette yeah um but yeah that like this stuff will have a bigger impact to cycling and mountain biking and i expect it's going to show up um, we should talk about this later about what levels of bikes it's going to show up but i anticipate that next year's uh, value field tests we're going to see a lot of this stuff on these bikes but my question for you here is how is it developed because you can't just give it to richie rude and be like hey tell us what you think or maybe you can i don't know yeah well we uh we gave it to richie rude last year at the finale ews when he jumped in the e-bike race so we were like if you're gonna have fun and jump in the e-bike race like please enjoy this drivetrain and tell us what you think and uh yeah i don't know you want to get into that now uh you asked a question let me i should answer it <laughs> yeah like what what do you have a, the same type of like user testers for a mid-level group that are just you know weekend warriors and school teachers and lawyers and whatever a bit yeah well we can have pretty easy access to to testers you don't need to be a professional tester to to work on this kind of group um so it ended up being me for a good amount of it and uh right i know what to look for in a test so i'll jump in when 
our, uh, when we're having test camps and working with our skunk development team. But like my opinion is not the one that matters there, but it, it kind of was here. The, the main thing though, I think was that we had years and years of feedback from, you know, bike shop mechanics and OEM product managers saying, this is the kind of bike that I want to make. And, uh, it could be something like uh, man drivetrains really wear out fast coming from a bike shop. There are a lot of different things that I need to stock to service really similar bikes. From a product manager's point of view, like I can't make the bike the way that I want to. Something simple like the wide range one by nine group. Uh, but, uh, you know, anytime you see a bike that's got uh, um, bar con shifters in order to um, make a derailleur work because it's using friction mode instead of indexing because they wanted those parts to work together. Like that's a sign that, uh, we needed to open up compatibility a bit. So for, for this stuff, you said you were on it earlier, but are you also seeding, um, like, you know, do you have a fleet of average riders that you would seed with these sort of components earlier beforehand? um to make sure that everything is good or are you you mentioned richie root earlier mm -hmm. or are pros helping to develop and give feedback on this stuff uh it, it ends up being people around the office largely right like uh asking somebody what their opinion is um even people that are you know there are a lot of people that work at shimano that are not necessarily cyclists and you, you can go ask them what do you think of this technology or family members at home right like i could bring it home and ask my girlfriend what she thought of it I'm really excited for like for my parents to uh, use a link glide drivetrain, especially when we start getting into the auto shift versions of it as well. Maybe that's a good transition. So how are you using like link glide is sort of the foundational technology, the shifting technology. But I mean, I'll be honest, it's the way it's all getting rolled out is a bit confusing because it's sort of simultaneously you're talking about some new drivetrains and like consolidating the, those Alta Cicera Alivio drivetrains mm -hmm. into this new family of things. Did you see? I didn't say it. I didn't say ecosystem. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so how are you using it across your lineup? Link Glide. Yeah, well, so Link Glide will, uh, uh, I feel like it's always going to be a temporary answer too. We don't necessarily know the, an the answer. As of today in 2023, it, uh, it made sense to launch it first as like a high durability mountain bike group. And so that's why we saw it come out with XT and Dior. And, uh, and then a year later, we, uh, we realized it was the key to being able to play around with automatic shifting, which people may love or hate or whatever. Um, there are, uh, this is where things get split a little bit because new XT DI2 works with the EP801 or EP6 drive unit to, to be able to do automatic shifting. Uh, there are Hyperglide Plus and Link Glide versions of it though. And that kind of is, you know, just like with mechanical where you could choose whichever one you feel like is right for your ride. Uh, same thing with the DI2 version. So automatic shifting, I like it more than I thought that I would. There are a lot of fire road climbs where like, I don't care about the shifting. Um, what really is important to me is, uh, is being able to use it on the descent so that I can know that I'm pedaling out of any corner. Uh, so yeah, it's using free shift technology to do it, uh, but it's doing it automatically. Like that kind of is the key thing. And it was the reason to develop automatic shifting for mountain bikes. And this is where the more like professional development side comes from. So the way that our skunk riders were, uh, kind of getting experience with link glide through the years was basically through this kind of side project of playing around with auto shift, which we've been doing for 
you know, basically since 2017 or so as well. And, uh, but we didn't have that technology available. So the first time we were, you know, and no one ever really thought that auto shift was going to come to market. And it was impossible at the time because in a week of testing, we might've broken 20 chains or something like that with hyperglide. So this was before the current 12 speed groups came out. So when we moved to hyperglide plus things got a lot better. We stopped breaking chains and started breaking cassettes instead because, you know, um, full, uh, power shifts that are completely unexpected. You know, you're not letting up on the pedals at all. Um, and so then when link glide came out, it was like, okay, we can actually start developing this other thing. So yeah, we do have full-time, uh, e-bike test riders, They're the skunk development team in the U S Joe Murray and Paul Thomasberg. They've been with us for forever. So that's whose houses we should go post up outside for sure. With the long lenses. Perfect. <laughs> Is so, and just I mean, you may have answered this. I'm not a tech editor, but free shift and auto shift are two separate things. They're both e bike specific. They are two separate technologies. I, if I have an e bike with new XT Link Glide on my EP8 motor, I can choose auto shift or free shift. I, uh, yeah, basically, you know, like anything else, if you, this is for a new complete bike, cause it has to be an updated drivetrain or drive unit, sorry, that, uh, has the ability to rotate the chain ring while you're coasting. That's kind of the key thing to making it work. Um, and then free shift is literally me shifting while the bike is moving, but I'm not pedaling. Like, let's say I'm cruising down downhill and I want to get into an easier gear for an upcoming climb. I shift from my harder gears to my easier gears, not without pedaling. I hit that climb and I'm already in that gear. That's free shift. Yeah. Yeah. Free shift is just playing the ability to shift whenever you want to. So you're free to shift when you want to, even if you're coasting. Auto shift uses free shift technology. If you're coasting and it's going to shift automatically, it has to use free shift. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Nick, it almost sounds like you were surprised about the auto shift when you were using it. Yeah, I I mean, I could see the benefit of being able to shift while coasting right away. I think that's fairly obvious and uh, was really hopeful that it would be able to keep up uh, while you're descending and shift automatically so that you could pedal out of any corner. And so it was fairly easy to uh, to make the, the algorithm work so that it would choose the right gear for that automatic shifting while you're pedaling. It uh, it sounded like a much harder thing to do. And uh, now that I've been riding a bike that way and turning it on and off, like now that the development is uh, is kind of been wrapped up and it's just a bike to ride, I am surprised that I leave it on basically 100% of the time. Like it, I do still have a shifter on the bike and I can still do manual shifts whenever I want to. But for the most part, I'm letting the computer just go for it. What a time to be alive, eh? Right? craziness that is craziness earlier we were talking about friction down tube <laughs> shifters and this stuff and now here we are we're talking about these bikes shifting on their own so that you can accelerate out of a corner in the right gear right so this is uh i, I think it kind of speaks to the breadth of uh link glide and even automatic shifting right that uh and yeah and to answer your question brian that uh somebody would just buy an epa 
bike that has XTDI2 on it. Like they're not required to use automatic shifting. You'd need to go turn it on in the app. And uh, if you don't like the idea of it automatic shifting while pedaling, then great. Set up your profile so that it only shifts automatically while you're coasting or be fully manually in control of the thing all the time. Like you just have a DI2 bike. It has capabilities that you can turn on or off. It uh, really, I think uh, the good way to like. But I want to be outraged. Uh, I s- expect that you probably could find a reason to, if you, if you'd like, <laughs> I try really hard. We, uh, uh, we had a really fun project this last year. It was fun for me. It was definitely very hard work, but I got to follow, um, the Yeti, uh, EP racing team around and go to the EWSE races just to go see like what we could learn from it. And, uh, Nick Hanna has been an absolute joy to work with. I mean, he's in the perfect point in his career, kind of retired from downhill racing and able to have a focus that's goes beyond just race results. Like, of course he wants to win. Like that's where, I mean, what makes him such a good racer, but, uh, his openness to do things like, uh, ride a data logging bike during practice, uh, which he did at a big mountain enduro race last year. I think you guys got some pictures of it. Uh, going into the beginning of the season, you know, he just got a regular e-bike to start with. And then we started throwing things at him. And, uh, so there was a a day where we're all kind of checking to see like, Hey, would you please go ride this link glide drivetrain and, uh, with mechanical shifting at first and tell us what you think and no pressure. You don't have to use it. You don't have to race on it. Like still at that time, we were kind of very conservatively thinking hyperglide plus is for racing and link glide is for some other stuff, people who prioritize maybe smooth shifting. He basically went out for a full day of riding, drained a couple batteries, came back and uh, said he didn't think he ever wanted to ride Hyperglide Plus again. So it was uh, a very extreme, like we thought maybe he could find some things that he liked about it, but didn't think that it was going to be that that far, right? That he didn't want to ride Hyperglide Plus again. And so of course, asking why he said that was the first time I've been able to ride my bike and shift absolutely whenever I want to. Like, uh, I don't need to let off on the pedals at all when I hit that shifter. So it means that I can shift at the right time and I don't ever have to wait for it that like, I, well, I need to put down power instead of shifting right now. Like it's just let it go. Nick, it, it kind of sounds like a seven speed link glide drivetrain would be a really good downhill drivetrain, you know? I'm just saying. I uh, it's got us asking the same question too. I mean, uh, is it appropriate for other racers? Right, like if they can shift under more load. Is this was? I mean, I guess I'm not allowed to talk about what the syndicate's writing. <laughs> no, we'll edit it out. Just go ahead. Just say it. We'll edit it out. We will, uh, not, we will not edit that out. <laughs> I can tell you that uh, we had a test camp where we gave Greg Menar a Hyperglide Plus group to ride on his downhill bike. And he said, I need this technology right away because being able to shift under load can mean tenths of a second in those first couple of shifts coming out of a starting gate. Sorry, you said Hyperglide Plus. Did you mean Hyperglide Plus? No. This was uh, in 2019, so... So we have not really given Link Glide to to any downhill racers to to try out yet. That's uh, we'll have to do some exploring and see what people think of it. So it was good to have that opportunity to put Richie Rude on it in finale when he jumped in the the e bike race. Um, uh, yeah, and even backing up, we were anxious to do it because even at the first race of the season, when we get to Scotland and build up uh, Mick's bike, 
the, yeah, the whole team was kind of screwing around with the bike and Jared Graves hopped on it and rode it around a little bit. And he was like, yeah, we got to get Richie on this right away. Like you can shift at, like, while you're absolutely hammering, like this is crazy. And, uh, but no one really, I mean, limited prototypes at the time, like didn't want to risk like having to change derailers in a pit or something like that to a totally different shifting system or, you know, run out of prototypes and make him switch back if he really liked it. So, uh, at the end of the season, it was a good chance to, to try it kind of pressure off at that point. His, uh, his feedback, I mean, basically was, uh, too soon to tell. It's an important thing to keep in mind. He could appreciate some stuff at about it, but he could notice that it was slower shifting and it wasn't like as black and white as it was with Nick. It's so I've, I've only had a limited amount of time on, on the system, but it definitely is, it is slower than hyperglide plus, but it is, you guys say smoother. I think I'd say more positive. Like it's when you shift, you really know you shifted. Like it's a, it is a bang. It's, it's like hydraulic. It's, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. That it's, uh, I mean, I'm going to come back to smoothness cause that's the word that's locked into my head, but yeah, like you can basically feel that shift gate come around and then you just, uh, it, it feels like a smooth, like a, like a hydraulic piston pushing the chain over. Yep. Can we, can we jump into that a little bit more? So you, you used a phrase there, shift gate. Can you Explain what a shift gate is and, and why it's so important to have everything shift so smooth and quickly. Yeah, this is a maybe a good opportunity to to like draw the line between hyperglide plus and link glide too, because so we could call it shift gate, shift ramp. They're not really properly well-defined terms like I don't care, call it whatever you want. For me, I've kind of always thought of a shift gate as being like letting the chain go and a shift ramp kind of pulling a chain up. And so we really are like link glide is using more shift ramps to guide the chain down. A shift gate felt like it was more appropriate uh, with hyperglide because it literally is letting the chain go. And that's why when you're shifting to a higher gear with hyperglide, you get this like clunk, clunk, clunk as you move into higher gears, like this very satisfying clunk. That was what we all got used to, right? Until Hyperglide Plus came around. So uh, the way that uh, that Hyperglide Plus works is uh, it gets rid of kind of a, a nagging engineering problem that has been around since, you know, modern bicycle chains that started moving across cassettes have been out. That uh, inner plates and outer plates are not the same. They don't have the same space in between them and your shift ramps on the cassette, they don't know if it's gonna be an inner plate or an outer plate that's coming around. So you have to design that shift ramp gate to be able to work with both of them. So the way that Hyperglide Plus works, the key thing is the inner plate is extended past the roller into the space where the outer plates sit. So that means that uh, that, uh, that chain plate is contacting the, the teeth on the cassette, like at a consistent width all the way like all the time, basically. So that's uh, that's why if you have a non-Hyperglide Plus chain on your Hyperglide Plus cassette, you do not have Hyperglide Plus shifting anymore because you don't have this consistent width anymore. So relying on that surface area contact from the extended interlink plate on the chain is a key part of how Hyperglide Plus works. It's relying on the chain to basically keep holding on to the, the last tooth before the shift gate on the larger cog. So you start shifting down to the smaller cog and with hyperglide, as soon as it starts that momentum of dropping down to a smaller cog, the chain wants to just whip down the rest of the way on its own. So the kind of simple thing that hyperglide plus does is it just tries really hard to not let go of the chain 
so that uh, you can start driving the smaller cog immediately. You're not waiting for the chain to kind of like shift forward, skip forward and slam up against the uh, uh, the teeth and start pulling it. You can start driving it right away. So actually a Hyperglide Plus shift takes longer to finish, but it starts driving the next gear faster, as fast as possible, the fastest one. Uh, Link Glide works a different way. It is uh, just a shift ramp to guide the chain down. So it's never just letting the chain go. And uh, and it's not just holding on to the chain until it rotates out of the way. Like it's waiting for a shift gate or ramp to come along. And then the chain will take that shift gate and basically take the escalator down to the next uh, cog instead of getting let go. Wow. Okay. It It's funny. If you go look at an older cassette, there's the cogs are so flat. Like there's nothing on them. It looks like they're just like, like stamped steel. But now if you look at a modern cassette, like Hyperglide Plus cassette, there's all these like scoops and cutaways and like divots and little things that are helping to move the chain, which is what you are talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need, I think, yeah, if after the pod, if you could send over some, any sort of like diagrams or stuff, because that's the best, that is the best explanation of the difference between Hyperglide, Hyperglide Plus, and Link Glide that I've heard. And I can visualize what it, what it means, but I think it would be super cool if we could, yeah, if there's any sort of diagrams to go along with that, I'd love, I'd love to visually show people that. Yeah, we've Brian, got should have been in the presentation tomorrow yesterday, Brian. I, you missed yeah, out. Yeah, I, I think no. uh, there may be like a content package that we've delivered. <laughs> uh, I I so, opened the I opened the PR thing, but I didn't have that. So we we talked a bit about how Link Glide might be used in the future on downhill bikes, maybe. But maybe. you are obviously using this stuff right now on some different drivetrains that are new, brand new Q's stuff. Can you can you explain what Q's is and uh, yeah what we're where we're going to see it? Yeah, maybe I can answer both of those at once. The Q's is uh, is replacing uh, mid class segments from Shimano, um, starting at Altus all the way up through the the lineup. Yeah, the uh, Acera and Olivio and Dior on the mountain bike side, and um, the flat bar road stuff too with. Uh, Claris and Sora and bit into Tiagra. Um, I said Dior. Uh, currently, Dior has got 10 and 11 and 12 speed versions of it. So the 10 and 11 speed versions right now, they still rely on hyperglide shifting. They will get a little bit better with uh, uh, link glide technology, which we feel like is a good match for uh, those riders, you know, less worry in uh, upkeep, stuff like that, smoother shifting, easier to get back into the uh, cycling if you've been away from it for a while. I could go on and on, uh, and I will. Um, but uh, but wider gear ratios as well. So uh, uh, we've got uh, nine speed, eleven forty six, ten speed, eleven forty eight, and eleven speed, eleven fifty. Those are the widest ratios that we offer for those nine, ten, and eleven speed groups. So basically, this uh, this Q's brand will bring like real mountain bike performance down to that uh, one by nine price point, which could maybe replace some uh, some two by eight bikes that are out there now. So really. The price range of bikes that we could be looking at is uh, $800 aluminum hardtails all the way up to $2,000 or $3,000 full suspension bikes, depending on how somebody wants to use it. And then if it's an e-bike, then we for sure could be pushing $5,000 with uh, Q's products on it. So it's like, it's not cheap stuff. It's not entry-level stuff. Like it's solid mid-range components 
in. If you like Dior 10 or 11 speed, you're going to like Q's. So does the Q's brand, is it a single tier or are there multiple tiers within Q's? Obviously, there'll be different numbers of gears, but are there other, like, is there a fancier Q's Dior and then a cheaper Q's Olivio? Is, yeah. I mean, I'm going to keep coming back to talking about the group like a mountain biker, but there are, so we talked about 9, 10, 11 speed. You'll also see the U4000 group, the U6000 group, and the U8000 group, and they're all called Qs. Um, but you can kind of imagine that there's like, if it's 8,000 level, it's kind of like XT grade. We're pushing up against that. So not XT mountain biking. There's an XT trekking group, which we don't see in North America all that much. It's popular in Europe though. And uh, so Qs U8000 is basically geared towards that kind of like high-end trekking group. I don't expect to see it on mountain bikes. The the U6000 group, there are 10 and 11 speed versions of it, and it's kind of the sweet spot for a mountain biker. U4000 is basically trying to bring the best technology we can to an entry-level price point so that somebody can get into mountain biking with as little barrier to entry as possible. So like that U4000 rear derailleur, it works with a nine-speed 11 46 cassette. It's got great chain retention so that you don't need, you know, a chain catcher up front or anything special, anything high tech and expensive, basically. Um, In order to save cost, it doesn't have a traditional clutch in it. It just kind of has clever architecture and a stronger spring. So the chain stays on, which is that, you know, minimum level of performance for real mountain biking, but it's noisier and hope you can accept that, but we've lowered the barrier to entry. And there's an upgrade path that doesn't require replacing all of the other things yeah it's pretty sweet i mean obviously if you're going to have more teeth on the biggest cog you need a longer chain stuff like that but uh no longer do you need to like change your chain ring because you're going to be moving from a 10 speed system to an 11 speed system like it's the same chain design it's the same chain ring design uh it's not i mean link glide was basically designed so that we didn't have to require fancy expensive chain technology either right that kind of is a key difference is by putting that shifting technology squarely in the cassette, then you don't have to have a super specific chain requirement. So a lot of a lot of what we've talked today about, and when you were talking about the feedback that you get for these groups before you design them or as you're designing them, and a lot of what you're talking about how it's going to be sold is we're talking about spec. We're talking about OE spec with mm-hmm. brands. There's product managers making decisions on, yeah, your thousand, just under thousand dollar price point hardtail that are you know deep in spreadsheet land and trying to get the most performance for the minimum amount of money trying to work all the variables to make it work out for the price performance ratio thereafter it sounds to me like so much of what you've said today is relevant and valuable and it it's kind of what the comments section says they want all the time um Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't want to curse this because the last time I had Levy write about an e-bike specific drivetrain that we thought more people should be on it then was immediately canceled. But it made everybody um, angry too. <laughs> it made everybody really angry <laughs> when we suggested that they ride e-bike parts. But this isn't just an e-bike drivetrain. To me, it seems like what the vast majority of mountain bikers should, should be on, genuinely. It's a good question. I mean, I've, uh, who it's for, I think I don't want to think about it too much because I don't want to decide, right? Like I think that, uh, product managers will go different ways too. Um, and, uh, you know, for sure for 
I guess we are officially making the statement that for those kind of mid range bikes, nine, 10 and 11 speed that like, yeah, this is the best technology for you. It's really more when we get into, uh, the higher end Dior and XT versions of it, that, uh, that it really is a, a choice. And, uh, I like them both for different reasons. If, uh, if I'm being completely honest, I mean, I come from a cross country racing background, like I probably would even put hyperglide plus on my e-bike and, uh, and I probably will like, uh, I can, I can see why people, a lot of people will like link glide. Um, and that really, you know, if a product manager is doing their job, right, they're not making products for them. They're making them for their customers. And so that's what I'm trying to do, <laughs> trying to, trying to use years of feedback from, uh, bike shops, OEM product managers and pink bike commenters really first and foremost, um, to <laughs> <laughs> so so there will be a an aftermarket for these things as well and you will there is some sort of consumer level access to all this it's not just oe it's not just oe for sure yeah the xt and dior link glide uh products are in stock at shimano north america right now so I want to I want to ask a question that you you probably don't want to give me exact numbers to, but maybe just like a real rough estimate. I would imagine something like this has got to be Shimano's bread and butter, like more obviously more than XT and XTR. So just like real rough, how much how much of sales maybe? would this account for would a group like this account for just like the the link glide sorry the cues i mean in total do you expect it to be like is it going to be like 50 percent of drive trade sales in two years or what what do you see that's probably not far off it's uh i honestly don't have great visibility on what our global numbers are so it's not like i could pull up a spreadsheet and look it up for you real quick so it, this is a bit of my my kind of feeling as well that if you look at the volume of where these groups sit that that doesn't feel far off base i think we've been throwing around to to bike shops to make sure that they are ready for it that 20 percent of the bikes coming in for service in a year could have link light on them and uh, and there are obviously you know several decades worth of bikes coming in for service now. So exactly, that's that's a whole other part of the equation, is it? Like, so you guys are going to release or you release this drivetrain, the drivetrain stuff, but there also has to be a whole bunch of um, support for bike shops, spare mm -hmm. parts, um, technical support that goes into making something like this happen too. It's not just like here's a drivetrain, drop it in the wild, and walk away, right? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, with this big of a change too, we've been trying to get out in, in front of it as much as possible, even uh, giving the industry as a whole a heads up that like, hey, 11 speed chains are going to have a big increase in demand soon. So stock up, get your orders in now. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, I, I got lost in my own head. What was the rest of your question? <laughs> no, that, that was that was good. I want to follow that up though with with another question. Um, so I asked you earlier, sort of, when did the ball start rolling on this? And, and you said 2017, a fairly long time ago. When does a bike brand know that this is coming? How how long ago are you going to bike brand X and saying, hey, guys, we have this. Do you want to spec it on your 2023 model? When does that happen? 
Matt, everything has been changing the last three years or so. I don't know if you've noticed, um, yeah. but uh, because people had to place their orders further out ahead of time, we had to uh, push our presentations you know, further and further ahead of the product. Something like this, we knew we were going to have to give people a long runway just so that they could be ready, that like, uh, you know, we, your bikes will have to change over. This is basically something that they all wanted. So it was uh, uh, something that they were eager to do anyway. Managing the transition is always tricky. And, uh, so I think uh, 2020 is probably when we started giving the cues presentations to bike brands. I had a jumping back on the tech side. Sorry if this is, yeah, we're like kind of past yeah. this all, but Q or, uh, link glide uses exclusively HG drivers, right? Uh, yes. Link glide is all based on kind of a traditional, uh, HG free hub body the one that basically has been around since uh we went to it in eight speeds so there's a you know a road 11 12 speed version as well that's uh 1.85 millimeters longer those work as well just throw a spacer in there so basically the ubiquitous free hub body as much as possible we didn't want to use micro spline because it adds cost and uh, uh but it's something that we we're wondering about actually i don't know if this is a good idea or not but i've been Thinking about it, we'll throw it out there as a tester. Um, if people want to let us know what they think, should there be a micro spline version of a link glide cassette? You know, you could push the weight a little bit lighter. Right now, um, the best link glide cassette's about the same weight, just a little bit heavier than a Dior 12 speed full steel cassette, but we could theoretically go lighter. The wheel could get lighter with an aluminum freeha body as well. That really kind of is the key thing with micro spline is that you can make the freeha body out of aluminum without it getting completely gouged out. It's compatible with a 10 tooth cog as well. So there's no technical reason that we need to do it with, uh, with link glide because link glide, you know, it makes sense. to stop it at an 11 tooth cog. But, uh, if there's a reason to try to push the performance or if just like, People want compatibility with wheels that they've already got. Obviously, it would take us several years to implement something if the idea came out now. But I'm there. I can't tell you the temptation to just like ask pink bike commenters. Just tell me what you want me to make. We'll put a poll in the bottom of this one. We'll put All a right. poll. Should there be should there be a micro micro spline uh, link glide cassette? Uh, my my answer is yes. Just for the swapping from wheel to wheel you know um and mm -hmm. i think that everything i hear about this i i like i don't know what what the future is and I, I i hope there's good market adoption of this because for me this is what matters to so many mountain bikers even when they like everybody wants like kashima xtr but often what they need is this and i would love to see this brought up a level or two um for the people who want high performance but different high performance yeah you want an xtr version yeah why not make it out of tie yeah. micro spline Ooh. out of tie let's go <laughs> thank you for your feedback <laughs> that, that's, that's why he way. doesn't ask anybody <laughs> for, for people listening thank you for your feedback is product manager talker for shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> Nick, before we wrap this up, um, the Q's name, are we going to see this on any other components or is it strictly drivetrain stuff? Like, are there going to be Q's brakes or is that a, is that a silly question? 
There is a Q's break, and it's part of that U8000 like uh, trekking group that I was talking about. So it's, uh, uh, I mean, there was an XT trekking break before with a long brake lever. It's, uh, it's got kind of semi-clean hose routing where the hose uh, stays nice and parallel with the bar. Like it looks nice, it matches with the U8000 group. For the most part, though, uh, we didn't want to change our brakes because uh, uh, that would be huge for the factory to like change over to a different break and uh people like already are pretty happy with the non-series brakes those 420 520 brakes like those things are hitting the sweet spot already and uh, so we're just going to let those brakes live on dude give me some mt500s all day what right? those things they cost like 80 dollars an end or something and they are amazing they're yeah, amazing best kept secret and i mean the same power as a saint or xtr brake too like we just were like, yeah, let's just make them all the same power. Why not? So, Nick, all this stuff sounds kind of neat, but I got to admit, I'm a little sad to see the names like Olivio disappear and STXRC. Like, I remember, so I bought a giant ATX 980 with a Quadra 21R, and I upgraded to V-brakes with the parallel push, mm-hmm. and it had an STXRC rear derailleur. It was chrome. It looks so nice, and now it's gone. All that, all those names are going to be gone. Yeah, that does make me sad too. I mean, I miss STXRC. I had an STXRC, but which sounds pretty similar. Mine was uh, uh, this was a a big day, and I think that I'm probably only a mountain biker because of this. That like my first mountain bike went out to the garage one day and found that it had been stolen, and my dad said uh, that I think. This is probably an important thing that we should take care of right away. I don't want you to like have a bad taste and never ride a mountain bike again. You seemed like you liked it. Let's go to the bike shop right now. And we hopped in the car and we went shopping. And uh, they had, it was like $100 more than he said I could spend. But it was a closeout of a GT Timberline FS. And it had the team screen paint job, like the splatter paint transition between the yellow and the blue. And it had that RockShox Quadra fork on it. And it had an STXRC rear derailleur on it. So coming from Alivio before, I was uh, I was blown away. And so, I mean, you can imagine he said, yes, we could take this thing home. And I loved that thing. Um, and, uh, and I upgraded the hell out of that thing too. Like it was a full XT bike with a Marzocchi fork on it by the end. Um, when I was working at a bike shop in... Uh, Probably 99 or 2000, uh, just rode across the parking lot to the pizza place, came out afterwards and the bike was gone. So it got stolen uh, a little more than 20 years ago. And for maybe five years or so, I've had an eBay alert up for that thing. Like I wanted that bike back. This was uh, uh, one of the nice side effects of the the covid bike boom was that everybody was taking their bike out of the closet and putting it on ebay and so i started getting all these hits for the thing and i had some close calls i was you know interacting with people and telling them like how to measure the frame to figure out what size it was and and like ah it turns out that one's a a small and uh but hey you can add that to your listing now ah, thanks very much and uh finally found i mean the perfect one and, uh, and the guy was close to home too. I was able to go look at the bike just up in Long Beach and, uh, uh, the guy had founded it in an estate sale and it was a hundred percent original. That's the person who changed the seat. That made me really sad, but it had the original cable and housing on it. And this was like, I had been starting to think for the last couple of years. I remember Interglide like that 
Interglide technology was kind of the first crack at this of guiding the chain down the cassette. Yeah. Did you say Interglide? Yeah. So there was Hyperglide and there was Interglide. I think it came out. Oh, it's on my computer. 1996, Interglide came out. Um, it was, get this, front and rear shifting technology. So that was a key thing, uh, guiding that chain using basically more robust uh, shift ramps to to try to force the chain to like uh, go smoothly down to a smaller cog or chain ring, as the case may be. Um, it was used uh, like basically up to the STX RC level because it was a little bit slower, and uh, but it was on the front all the way up to XTR, and uh, and it basically got discontinued because. You know, it wasn't viable as like the mainstream thing for XTR, like Hyperglide was faster and it kind of was unnecessarily complicated. I think we've got a better strategy now having two versions of XT and you get to choose which one is right for you. Right. But uh, yeah, so I got to take this thing home. Oh, right. That was the, the key moment because, of course, I replaced my original chain on that bike like back in the 90s. Right. Like uh, um, so I didn't remember like what Interglide was at the time. So uh uh, when I looked down and saw that it still had the original, uh, IG cassette and chain on the thing, I'm like, I finally get to like, as a product manager, get to ride in an IG bike and see what it's all about. So I actually, I took it out for a spin last night, uh, just to kind of refresh my memory of like, oh yeah, okay. It would definitely is smoother. Like it didn't drop down to a smaller cog. It kind of more like it skipped down. So if you weren't pedaling super hard, then it would be really smooth. You'd barely notice the shift, but if you were given it a little more, you'd kind of feel it go down in two steps. Like it was a shift ramp, but it was a, you know, um, the, uh, the nineties version of it, like cogs were still thin. You could only do so much. So link glide, basically taking that, that concept and letting an engineer really go wild with it. They're like, you need more surface area to work with. Like, yeah, have some thicker cogs, start cutting away, do what you need to do. Yeah. It's same idea, but now we have like the room and well, similar idea, but now we have the real estate and the technology and the engineering to make it way better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let the engineers go nuts. They uh, are obsessed with this idea of making a shift as smooth as possible because, you know, you're a shift engineer. Of course, that's going to be your metrics. So let's make it as smooth as possible. And the rest of us are like, hey, I mean, like that's cool and all. I don't know how much people really care about that, though. Uh, I guess it was, uh, it was RC and Kaz that came out to our, our media camps for XTR, but we barely said the words hyperglide plus, cause we were so nervous, right. About being like, uh, the company that care prioritizes shifting smoothness when people prioritize descending on their mountain bikes. So like, you're not speaking the right language if you're talking about shifting smoothness. And then it came out and, uh, we saw like blowback anytime somebody used the wrong chain on it. Like you didn't get hyperglide plus shifting or like. You can be so much more aggressive on the bike because of the shifting smoothness. And then it was kind of like, uh, yeah, that's why we did it. Totally. We, it's awesome. Right. So for the XT media camp, it was, a, there was a lot more focus on hyperglide plus that like, yeah, let's own this. We are nerds. <laughs> All I'll say is that I'm annoyed about link glide because do you know how much more resources we're going to have to put into testing a drivetrain for four years? <laughs> That's uh why don't you think yeah. of the media when you make these decisions? <laughs> See, this is why I need to add you to our pool of resources that we listen to years and years of feedback from pink bike commenters and retailers and product managers, but you guys are the ones that get left behind. Yeah. Won't somebody think of poor poor little old us? <laughs> 
All right, guys, I think let's end there. We've covered some of the history, which is really interesting. And we've covered a ton of technical details on this new Cues and Link Glide technology. Listeners, if you guys have questions about this stuff, put them down below and maybe Nick or somebody from Shimano will come answer them. Nick is giving me questioning eyes right now. Yeah, in this we'll video, see. But we, we will see. And everybody else, stay tuned for next week because that's when we'll be back with another show. Yeah.